Wednesday, May 30th, 2018. You are listening to the Daily Dose Sports Podcast, and I am your host, Clint Daly, coming to you from the Mile High City. We are right here in Denver, Colorado. We are back for another day of talking sports with what we hope is a dose of common sense, maybe just a touch of sarcasm. You know, we pride ourselves on having a little bit of both here at The Dose. Hopefully, we are keeping you entertained. Happy Wednesday to you. You know, it really was kind of nice to not have to plow through that Monday this week, wasn't it? Can we do that every week? I don't know what the rules are. I don't know if we can get that introduced into Congress or something, but is there any way that we can kind of just eliminate Mondays from every single work week? Because I'm kind of liking this week. It makes for a much, much nicer week when you don't have to work that Monday. And again, slowly but surely, we are making our way through your week. It is already Wednesday. Another two days, we'll be back to the weekend. I'm telling you, we got to do something about getting these work weeks shortened. Hey, if you would like to let us know what day of the week that you'd like dropped, we would love to hear from you. Hit us up on email, dailydosports at gmail.com, or feel free to go over to Facebook or Twitter. You can find us over there. Both of those handles are at Daily Dose Sports. Maybe you've got a suggestion. Maybe you need some advice. Maybe you just have some feedback for the show. We would love to hear from you. Hey, today on the show, we will, of course, finish up our interview with our race car driver that we started yesterday. Plus, we do have a little bit of breaking news that we need to discuss, but we will finish up that interview that we started yesterday. Probably the biggest story coming out in the world of news that was at least a little surprising to me came out of the NFL yesterday. We learned that veteran wide receiver Brandon Marshall is signing a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. The deal has a maximum value of $2 million if Marshall, who is 34, actually reaches his player incentives, which basically tells me he signed for the league minimum and they said, hey, hit a few incentives and maybe we'll pay you because other than that, you're playing for the league minimum. But here is something that I don't like. I don't particularly care for. I'm looking at a copy of this contract right here and here's what it says. Let me read this to you. The aforenamed player can earn up to $2 million if he reaches various on-field incentives, and in parentheses, it says ha-ha. Now, see, that's just not nice. There's no reason to put that ha-ha there. That's just hurtful to Brandon Marshall. It's not right. You don't put that in a legal document. Now, I'm not sure Marshall is going to reach any incentives, but writing that into the actual language of the contract, that seems just a little bit snarky to me. Now, here is the thing I noticed, though. I can't help but see this. Brandon Marshall now has a job and Des Bryant doesn't have a job. Like what exactly is going on there? Remember Des Bryant said on Twitter he wanted to be a San Francisco 49er and then he deleted it right away. But Brandon Marshall has a job. Des does not. Apparently the San Francisco 49ers feel that, I don't know, Marquise Goodman and Trent Taylor are better wide receivers than Des Bryant would be, whoever those two are. That seems to be who they're going to go with. Brandon Marshall gets a job. If I would have given you, prior to any of the free agency stuff, Des Bryant or Brandon Marshall, which one has a job first, we would all pick Des, wouldn't we? A little bit weird. Tells me there's probably a little bit more to his health than maybe what they're letting on. Hey, coming back, we will continue our interview with our race car driver and continue to tell this story that is just so unique that I thought it had to be told here on The Daily Dose. I think you are going to enjoy the second half of this interview. We've got a lot to get to right after this. We now continue with our interview with a race car driver. 
So when you're running, this isn't your full-time job. Like you're, you're not like a full-time race car. You're still working a regular job? Yes. What are you doing? I was a sheet metal worker here in Denver. So you're running, say you're running Belleville, and you, and, and Belleville is running what, on Friday night, Saturday? How are they doing? Yeah, weekend. So you're working a normal work week. You're working your, you know, your 40 hours, whatever you got to do. And then how are you, how are you possibly getting a car and everything out there to, to race? Well, I loaded up Friday night and, and leave and sometimes drove all night to get some of them places. So you'd work all day. Yeah. And I drive half the night. And then drive half the night and get there and then then sleep in the morning and then race. (laughs) And then what? Drive back straight to the job? I had to sometimes. I had to get back here for Monday morning to keep my job. Oh, my goodness. Now, you you ended up getting at least a little bit of sponsorship, though, when you were running, didn't you? You got a couple of, of like, uh, car owners that were kind of supporting you at least a little bit, or were you getting any help? No, I wasn't getting You were any. doing it on your own? Yeah. That had to be that had to be a lot to try to be making your living and knowing, hey, if I wreck this car, I don't have that bailout. I don't have that money. It, you know, these guys now, if you wreck a car, who cares? They go buy a new car. If you wreck your car, that's your you're car. Done. Yeah. You yeah. own that car. That's right. You're done. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure you're uh, you're dealing with. And I know a lot of people might, you know, might not follow that kind of racing or that style of racing. Now you're racing the Champ Car. You're running uh say at Colorado National or you're running like a like a half mile oval or something like that. How fast are you going? If if you if you're guessing, you know, you're running down the straightaway, how fast are you going? Well, heck, probably 80 90 miles an hour probably or down the front. And that's and that's depending on years the track. ago, yeah, yeah. Depending on the track, depending on how big it was. If it's a good long straightaway, you go quicker, you know. But sure. What do you What do you think the fastest is that you went in, in one of these in one of these races? Probably at Pikes Peak. Is because you could long, stand on a little more. Some long long straightaways. Yeah, you're getting up over a hundred on some of those straightaways. I would assume. Yeah. That's that's awfully fast. And again, these are open wheel cars, and, and not and not at Pikes Peak because you're not going wheel to wheel, but at these tracks. You're wheel to wheel. If these, if you get too close to anybody, oh yeah, you're ending up up in the grandstands. That's right. Wow, <laughs> that's that's absolutely crazy. Now the cars you raced in, in this era that you raced in, you didn't have <laughs> you didn't have the safety features that we think of now. No. You weren't you weren't wearing these fire retardant suits. You weren't wearing you know these these approved helmets. You weren't wearing all the you know. You didn't even have roll bars on some of these cars. There was nothing there. Yeah. At the same time, you saw some deadly, deadly wrecks. I've seen a lot of guys get killed. Do you remember any that stood out to you or ones that you remember now? Two guys got killed that night. Two guys get killed in the same race? No, different races, but one race got killed and then the next one come out and got killed. Wait, but the same night? Same night. Two guys get killed in one. I have a, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I have a feeling if, you, if somebody got killed now in, in the first race, you're probably not running the second race, but this is a different era. So somebody gets killed in like a heat race? Yeah. And are you running in that race? Or were you yeah. not, were you not in that race? I was in that race. Was that like a, that was just like a heat and then? I, yeah. I climbed out and helped, me and another guy helped the guy out of the car, but he was bad. Wow. Crushed? I mean, what is no, it? I just busted it Just busted up, but it killed him. Yeah. You get back in and you race again? Yeah, and then, then a guy got killed the same night again. How in the world are you getting back in a car after that? Well, we, it's, it's putting on a show. You don't, you just block that out. You just don't think yeah. about that? 
you just get back in and go and you don't think about how bad it is because if you would, you wouldn't get in it. <laughs> I, I would assume that you don't get too close to other drivers because of that. Because well, you know, you know, night in, night out, there's that chance is there. I, are you getting close friendships with other drivers or are you kind of cautious about that? Well, you, you know them all and you talk to them a little bit, but you never do get real close because you know it can happen. That is horrifying. But at the same time, there seems to be, maybe I'm wrong, there seems to be a feeling for all the safety precautions that they have. You guys didn't want those, really. I mean, yes, you don't want to be stupid, but, but you don't, because you wanted to make sure the best of the best were in the car. Uh-huh. Well, the thing is, too, if you get it too safe, somebody's going to go crazy and drive like he's nuts because he thinks, I, I can't get killed. Right. I'm, I've got every safety feature in me in the world. Sure. So it makes you feel like, hey, I'd rather have it a little bit safer. I mean, a little bit <laughs> more dangerous. Dangerous, so they don't stick their neck out a mile. So you were kind of okay with the lack of safety features because you felt like it kept some of the riffraff out and some of the the drivers that shouldn't be there to begin with right. away from it because it was so scary. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I can understand that. You know, you look at football or something like that, and these guys got these big helmets, and they got the big pads, and they say, well, I can just jam my head into you as hard as I can. It doesn't mean if you put the leather helmet back on to a degree, it's going to safen things up in a way because guys aren't going to be so reckless. And that had to be kind of how you were looking at this with racing. Uh-huh. That's, a, that's a deadly, deadly era in races, though. I, I When you go out there, are you afraid to get in the car? No. You're not afraid to get in it? No, you just go get in and go. You don't think You about just don't that. think about it. Yeah, you just go out and race. I would imagine if you, if you think about it too much, you're not getting in it. Yeah, probably. You, it's, it's a race, and you go do it. Yeah. So you raced. You raced the, started off in the midget. You got the champ car up to Pikes Peak, it, and you must have been running at least reasonably well because you, you win Rookie of the Year. You're Again, you're keeping your car running. You must be doing something right. Are you having any success when you're going to these races? Well, I'm, I'm going fairly good. I'm not winning every night. But I've got a but, car to take to the next race. Yeah, that that's always a plus. Are you signing autographs? Are, are like, do you, are you having fans? Are you are there's people that you, you go to the race and they, and they know who you are at all? When the race was over, I had my ramps down on the trailer. I drove right up on the trailer, threw the ramp up and tied it down and left for get back home. <laughs> you, so I you could get to work. You didn't. <laughs> you didn't want to celebrate with the fans. You just want to get out of town. I didn't have time. I had to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> did did you ever have to sign an autograph for anybody? I might have, but I don't remember very much of it because I was so busy getting ready to leave. I had everything loaded up at the last race, and I just drove it, drive up on the trailer, throw the ramps up, and tie it down and head out because I had to, a long ways to get back home. Well, yeah, you've got to get back, and you've got to get to a normal job and and get back to racing. And sometimes or, or back drive, to your job. I drive straight to the job sometimes without even going home because I didn't have time to go home and come back. So you take the car on the trailer to the job. And park it and unload it that night after the after work. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, that's a whole that's a whole different deal. You you started off in the midgets. You go to the champ car. You end up you know having to rebuild that car, racing on the sprint car circuit. Did you ever drive any other kind of cars? Were there any other cars that you drove? Well, I I drove the big stock cars every once in a while. We never did do any good. We went to the Riverside Five Hundred and we went to the Baja down there and. Mexico, and we went to the oh heck of a couple of races back in the Midwest there. But they was in the NASCAR cars, yeah. And did you, did you ever do any good in it? No, we never did. 
Never could get going good in him. Just a, not a good car. Or what did you? Was it a different style of driving, or what was it that that you think kept you from doing any, any good at it? Well, the cars wouldn't stay together. Yeah, he wouldn't keep them good enough to stay together, so they'd we'd have trouble with the cars. And I thought I, I I thought I had heard that you had gone out to Riverside once and had a pretty good run, at least for a while. Just till I quit. Till the car till the car shut down on you. Yeah. How good were you going until it did? I don't know for sure. There's so many guys running that I can't remember. But were you moving up at all? I was keeping. I was going to keeping up. What anyway. kind of? What kind of? Do you remember the car that you were driving? It was a Plymouth. Yeah, '60s Plymouth. Okay. Of some sort. Um, Bill Maxiden had them running and gave me the ride in them. And you went out to but, well, yeah. you went to a few tracks. You, I mean, they must have some faith in you that you knew how to drive the thing. Yeah, we just never could get going at Baja. We went down there, and and it was a terrible rainstorm, and we had to wade into the pits to get the car out even. And then when we got it out and started the race, it was terrible rain and terrible mud, and we went uh, fifty miles, and finally conked out and couldn't go any farther. And the only Ones that did go any farther was the four wheel cars that was oh yeah that could get bites on that mud. Sure. So you were racing, you were racing that car in the mud at Riverside. You're running on a paved track, though, aren't you? Is that a is that a road course or is that a big oval at Riverside? It was a paved track, I believe. It was a paved road race. No, so, it was a. Track, or was it an oval? But I never did do much good there. We had too much car trouble. And, yeah, had to be fun to travel around and, well, and take those rides, though. We, we went, uh, that was the year that they had the first Super Bowl, and the guys... So this just, is what, uh, 65, 66, somewhere in there? Somewhere in there. Yeah. And the guy had tickets for the Super Bowl for us to go to see it. And you're out in, in California. Yeah. But we were working on the car and couldn't go to see it. <laughs> so we lost out So that. you didn't get to go see the first Super Bowl ever. <laughs> That's because right. you're working on the car. Trying to get it going so we could go to the race. You probably should have just held on to those tickets at least. Those are probably worth a million dollars now just to have the tickets. <laughs> you right. can tell everybody you went. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's. I guess that's the sacrifices you got to make when you're trying to get your car together and get running right. You ended up with your brother building a car for Pikes Peak. Right. Tell me about that car a little bit because yeah. it was a it was a completely different idea and you guys did some really interesting things with the car itself. Well, we built a took a uh, six cylinder straight engine, airplane engine, and sawed it in half, and then took the back plate off of it and welded it onto the three cylinders that was left, and made a three cylinder airplane engine out of it to put in the race car. And then you drop it into just a, a chassis, and we built a chassis. We built a chassis for it. We, in fact, we built everything on the car because we couldn't go. At that time, you didn't just go down and buy parts and build them on a car. They, you had to build. So you're machining all the parts. Everything, yeah. And you drop them into this chassis. What's what kind of drive is this going to have? It's it's got a you've got an airplane engine dropped into this chassis, sitting sideways. <laughs> sitting sideways, yes. Let's not forget that. Had a chain drive back to the transmission, and then a chance a chain drive from the transmission back to the rear end. So is this going to be all-wheel drive, or is this going to be just rear-end drive? No, just rear-end. Okay. But it's chain drive. It's directly it right to a, the wheels. It wasn't a drive shaft. Right. It had chains instead. How is the chain not going to come off the sprocket, Well, basically? 
I ride my bike. I can't keep my chain on my sprocket. You, well, you've got a race car you're going to drive up a dirt hill with. We put a U-joint at the on the transmission so that when the back wheel would raise up, it would raise the it would chain flex, too. It would flex with it. So it would keep it in line. Okay. <laughs> what kind of size car did this end up being? I mean, was it was it a big, heavy car? Was it a light car? What did you have? Well, it only weighed, when we got all the running gear together, it weighed 825 pounds. Oh, my goodness. It's super light. It was like a midget. Yeah. Weight-wise. Weight-wise. But not, but not that small as far as a car. It was bigger than no, that. It was a big car, but it was with that airplane engine in it and that, you know, the homemade chassis. Yeah. We had it down to 825 pounds and it was a, what a, it was a screaming dude. It would have went. Did you ever get to run it at the hill? Never. They wouldn't let us run it because they said it was too light. <laughs> I, think, I think that's pretty convenient for them not to let you run it. Back in them days, there was no weight limit. When we start building it. Okay. And they made the weight limit when they seen what we had because it was... So when, you, when you're when you building this, Pikes Peak has no weight limits on the car. No. You can have it whatever you want. If you think you're fast enough to run it, then go run it. Yeah. You right. build it, they see your car, and then they put in a weight limit that you can't have at a certain weight? Well, that's what they told us. When one of them told them what I had, he said, no, that, you can't go. It's too light. What do they care if it's too light? I understand if it's too heavy or it's too big or it's too, but who cares well, if it's too light? A lightweight car will go twice as fast That's as That's exactly. They they care because they don't want it to beat them. Yeah. Bobby Answers looked at it and says, you would have won the race with that light of a car. Really? That's what he told me. Oh, my goodness. You ran a little bit with Bobby Answer, didn't you? Yeah, I knew him pretty good. He got me his tires for the hill climb that one year. I didn't have no, he'd come up and he says, hey, if you had tires on that car, you can go good. I said, if I had a spark plug brake on it, I wouldn't be able to run. <laughs> he says, you go down to the, the tire shop and tell them I sent you and tell them to put some tires on that car. And he says, if there's a problem, tell them to call me up at the motel. Bobby Unser gets you a new set of tires to go run up the hill. So I went d- down and got them, and they put them on. And they said, now, when these wear out, bring them back, and we'll replace them. And it didn't wouldn't cost them nothing because they wanted to check how they wore Oh, okay. So, so they want to see the how ones, they're how they're doing, anyways. If I took the old ones back, they could check it, and sure. I'd get new ones for it. And so I, I never had to buy tires up there anymore at all. That's not a bad deal. That helped. Yeah, I bet it did help. When you're trying to just nickel and dime and just try to figure a way how to keep a, a race car on the track every single week, I would imagine getting something like that. Bobby Unser uh, took care of you a little bit there. That's yeah, kind of that's kind of nice. And I could use them tires on the tracks. Oh know. yeah, so you could keep racing those even when you weren't at Pikes Peak. <laughs> yeah. So that helped me a bunch. Oh, I bet it did. <laughs> you had a you had an incident up at up at Pikes Peak where you slid off the road just in practice one time, didn't you? Mm-hmm. I went and spun and went off and landed in a ditch there, and I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't drive it out of there. So I went and somebody drove down, and I said, when you go by down to the bottom, tell, them, tell the car owner to come up and get me. So I was waiting for the car owner. Somebody come up in a brand-new car and, Says, what's the matter? I said, I just need to get pulled out of here. What kind of car are they driving? Brand new Buick is what it was. <laughs> okay. And he said, well, I'll get you out of here. And he got in his trunk and took a rope out and tied to my car and drug me out. With his new Buick? Yeah. It was Eddie Sachs. Eddie Sachs, who who, who nearly was, won Indy in 61. And then he broke, he, he crashed up there and couldn't run. And so they wouldn't, he didn't have a ride. So he was just going to go up to the oh, top. Oh, so he was just driving around. Yeah, he was just driving up to the top to, you know, to see what it was like because he had never been up to the oh, top. Oh, okay. 
but that's when he seen me and he got me hooked up and pulled out of the ditch. When I went back down to the bottom, they said, well, how did you get out? I said, somebody pulled me out. They didn't realize it was a guy that was running Indy and was a, <laughs> was a champ in, in those cars. <laughs> when you were racing at Pikes Peak, you would have different conditions and you started probably doing something that was maybe a little more advanced for your time at the, you started thinking about that elevation difference and what a difference it made. You started making some changes to the way you were driving and what you were doing in the actual, in the race car. Mm-hmm. What were you doing in the car to try to uh, help for the change in elevation that you were seeing as you're racing up that high of a climb? Well, I, I had a oxygen tank tied under the seat and a mask that I put on my face so that I would, I could breathe and think better because of it. Sure. And I mean, we know now how much of a difference, you know, that little bit of oxygen does make. Yeah. As far as making a split second decision, that's way ahead of its time for what guys were doing at that. Nobody would have thought to do that. You just get in your car and you, you put on your overalls and you put on your little helmet and you head up. You certainly aren't putting oxygen in the car. You were running an oxygen up in the car back in the 60s. Yeah, right. And uh, everybody laughed until Bobby Unser told him, hey, that's a good idea. We all ought to do that. So uh, you still have your old champ car. Yeah, it's still Still at the garage. Tell me about that car. What kind of car is it? It's a homemade car with a Lincoln engine in it. <laughs> what, what kind of engine does does it have in it? It's 341 Lincoln. Okay. And it's the big champ car. It's one of the big, if you were thinking about it, it's one of the big 60s kind of front engine roadsters that they were running. If you if you go pull up, you know, the early 60s Indy cars, you're going to see exactly kind of what that car looked like. That's exactly what it looked like. You had that car for a number of years, though. And you still have it today. Well, I kept it just so I could show it. When the robots all came in and the fire suits and all that safety equipment, I quit. You got out of it. Because I figured these guys are going to be sticking their neck out 10 miles. Just sure. Because they're, they think they're safe. Yeah. So I quit racing right then. And uh, I kept the car, though, and I take it to shows all the time. So you can, if you're in the Denver area, they could actually probably come to, you know, one of the big car shows. They might see your car That's out right. there. What color was your car when you're, when you're driving it? It was orange. The last couple of years that I drove it, it was orange. It went through a couple of, of different colors and it went through a, a couple different numbers though, didn't it? Did you change the number at all or did you just change colors? Well, I had to change the number because somebody else at the track had, had a certain number and, and, uh, so I had to change. Sometimes I just add a one to it or erase one of the numbers or something so I could be, wouldn't be the same as two cars having oh, okay. the same number. What number did you usually run when you were running at the track? 76. Why did you run, why did you run 76? Well, it was, they wouldn't let me have 13, so I, seven and six make 13. Why did, why would they not let you have 13? That was, what do you call it? Like a superstition that they wouldn't let you? I'm not superstitious, but I'm, I am a little stitious. And they wouldn't, they didn't want green. I did have it green one year, and uh, you couldn't have thirteen, and you couldn't have it green. Well, they they let me have it green, but they wouldn't let me have a thirteen. Oh, on you it. couldn't have both. What what was that about? Do you know? Just because they they was all scared of having them a thirteen and and being green. Both of those were considered unlucky. Yeah, we don't know why. They were just well, they, that was an unlucky deal. I think the green was because they say, well, if I see a green car, I'll think it's a the green flag. Waving and I'll stand on it. Really? That's why? That's what I always figured. And and 13 was just because people consider 13 to be an unlucky number, like they don't put a 13 in a hotel or something like that. Right. Really? (laughs) So you couldn't have a green 13? No. Well, I thought there was some other goofy thing. You couldn't have something in your peanuts or something in your car or some crazy thing. Yeah, they didn't want that around either when 
was racing on tracks. I you guess. couldn't have peanuts near your car. You wasn't supposed to. <laughs> That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Well, that was crazy. We, we don't know why, though. Just, I don't know, maybe somebody crashed when they had their... <laughs> eating peanuts in their car and running a green 13. So you ran you ran a green 76 because 7 and 6 were 13. Yeah. And then you you ended up going back and changing it back to the orange car that you had. I went, yeah, I changed, painted it orange and kept the same number. Okay. Kept it 76, though. Mm-hmm. Any idea, if you were guessing, how many years that you probably raced? Oh, probably 10 years or so. Yeah. I suppose. Somewhere in there. You raced against some really good drivers. Uh-huh. Both locally and and nationally, you you saw a number of great drivers that came in and and ran against you. We talked about some of them earlier. Obviously, even racing with you know someone like Bobby Unser and and Andretti and Al Unser and and those guys, you ran against a number of really really good drivers that would come in and and run on the circuit with you. When did you get out of racing? Nineteen seventy. Seventy, you started to shut it down. That's when the roll bars and all that junk came in. And that was why you wanted to get out of it. Yeah, I, in the first place. To buy all that stuff, it would have cost more than when I bought the car. <laughs> right. Yeah, you'd be spending way, way more money. <laughs> Just to get the stuff that to make you legal. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that would change things drastically. <laughs> so that was when you decided to hang it up. Yeah, I parked it then and never did run again. Was it tough to walk away from it? Yeah, I didn't like to, but I... I, I just didn't feel like I wanted to do all the stuff they wanted me to do yeah. to make it legal. Well, it changed. And at one time, it it was a situation like we talked about where here's a guy working a job, you know, a nine-to-five job and, and going out and then saying, hey, on the weekend, I'm going to go out and I'm going to race against some of the best race car drivers in the country, in the world sometimes. But it gets to a point where now the, the local guy can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And now the local guy, you, you can't do that. Like we talked about, you got to be like a millionaire now to go out and race. You oh, can't, yeah. you can't do that kind of thing anymore. When it reaches that point, yeah, I guess it was just time to, uh, to say when, and that was time to, to shut that down. Mm-hmm. When you, when you're watching racing today, it's a different world now. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing, and we've talked about here a little bit on the daily dose. The one thing that I've seen is the lack of innovation that we have now. You don't have guys going out and saying, Hey, how do we figure out how to make a car that could do this or how to make a car run on this kind of gas or how to make a car. You went and built a car from scratch with your brother to go run at Pikes Peak. You don't have that ingenuity now because every single car has to be exactly the same. It has to fit these exact specifications. We saw at Pikes Peak, they started putting in weight limits and all these things to try to make everything exactly the same. That's fine, but it doesn't allow for ingenuity. It doesn't. That's one of the things as Americans that we have always done. We've come up with new ways. Hey, we're going to come up with a way to be a little bit faster than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't allow for that anymore, which is kind of a shame to see we've lost that. Yeah, that's right. Every chassis is exactly the same every body's the same every motor's the same everything on the car is exactly the same as the guy next to you sure which makes it so you, who can compete i mean that guy will go as fast as you go if he can't pass you because he's exactly got the same as you it makes it tough well and you know we saw back in in the 40s 50s 60s even looking at just the indianapolis 500 and you see some of the innovations that came to the speedway and you saw a guy out there running a turbine, or you got you saw a guy out there uh, running a Novi, or a different kind of engine that they said that thing doesn't have a chance. And they go out there and they destroy the competition, or they would at least give it a very good shot. You saw when they switched to rear engines, it was because one guy said, "Hey, I think I can make this thing work." 
Mm-hmm. And and you saw different changes. I just, I don't see that now. And it's too bad that they've barred that out of the sport because it just doesn't allow for creativity like there used to be. Mm-hmm. Somebody going out and saying, hey, I think I know a way that I can make this thing a little bit faster. You don't have that these well, days, which is too engines, bad. They got, had a lot of different kind of engines in them days. Sure. You've got so, about three now. Yeah. You've got Ford, Chevy, and Honda. Maybe you see a Toyota here or there, but yeah, yeah right. it, you, that's most of what you have. Yeah, it's too bad that they've that they've banned so much of that stuff. It's too bad that they've gotten rid of of some of that aspect of it because it used to be an innovative sport where you could go out and you could be creative and you could find ways. I'm going to figure out a way to beat these guys. Uh-huh. You just can't do That's that. That's the anymore. way it was back then. They got it nowadays that all you do is get a, something exactly the same as the other guy. Everybody's going to run the same speed. Right. If and a guy conks out, you can beat him. <laughs> yeah, if a guy or makes a mistake, mistake or yeah, something, but then you'll see a change. But you see them all in a line now. They're in line and they have to stay in line because that's the way it is anymore. Well, and to get too far out of line means that the other 70 cars that are exactly like yours are going to pass you. There's really no reward for taking a gamble and seeing, can I get by anyone? Because if I get off the line, everybody's going to pass me and then I'm out of luck. So That's the way it works anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You you were fortunate enough to race in an era where you could build a car yourself. You could go out and run it as hard as you could. You Wake up the next morning and say, okay, I got to go to work, which I'm sure wasn't fun, but you at least got to go out and compete at a very, very high level, raced in a very, very different era of racing than what we're ever going to see again. Never coming back. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it was fun. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. That had to be a great time to be traveling to these towns and 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 running. People helped each other then. Yeah. If I had something go wrong with my car, I'd have another driver or owner come over and help me get it fixed so we could all keep running. But nowadays they all... Well, it's teams and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a different deal. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a racing crowd at that time that would kind of help each other out. You'd go into towns, I would imagine. And and there's probably families and and people that would try to help you with your car or help you with where you could stay or whatever you could do. Oh yeah. I know we had, we had one car get broke down and they took it into a garage there. And the guy said, you can use the garage. Just lock the door when you leave. And the guy would go home. But he'd let, oh, us wow. use, he'd let us use the garage. Just let you use the garage. So that we could get our cars done for the next day. That's one Sometimes thing. you run a couple of days. You'd run two days sometimes. Right. And that's what we was doing then. We had to run two days. And we didn't. he didn't want to drive clear back home and not even get a run. We stayed in there till daylight and fired it up early in the morning just to see if it would run. How in the world are you, are you racing a car? <laughs> no sleep. Staying up the whole night working on the car the night before. How are you even functioning the next day? <laughs> we did it, and we had fun doing it. It's just, it's a different world. It's too bad that we've lost that side of it, but we kind of have. It's uh, its amazing that you got to be a part of that, because that really is a pretty special thing, and there's not very many people in the world. And that's why I wanted to have you on, because it is, it's a different story, and anybody thinks of in racing now. Mm-hmm. If you think of racing now, you think, oh, these guys are millionaires, and they were born in, you know, to a certain situation. They raced go-karts or whatever it was. This was a situation where you just, you know, one night down there with your brother and you happen to get thrown in a car and you <laughs> get to go out and, and, and run for 10 years. You race for 10 years at a pretty high level. That's pretty amazing to be a part of that. That was fun. Well, now for those of you who don't know, and I haven't made mention of it, but for those of you who don't know, we are uh, having this discussion with Bob Daly, who is my father. And I wanted to have him on the show because I wanted to hear that side of the story. And I wanted you all to hear that side of the story. Uh, completely, you know, different sport. We don't always talk a whole lot of racing here on the Daily Dose. But it was something that I was like, that is such an interesting story to hear about the crashes, 
to hear about the way that things were at that time and the way that racing went. Uh, you were actually, as as recent as, uh, what was that, 2012, you were inducted into the Big Car Racing Association Hall of Fame back in Nebraska. You're up for at least another induction, possibly, into the Belleville Hall of Fame. And, and we'll see how that goes, but it, it's got to make you feel at least a little bit good. Hey, you went out and you're doing this on a shoestring. You're building these cars yourself. You're trying to figure this out. You got inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's something pretty cool that a lot of people don't get to do. Yeah, that's true. It was fun, and it was neat to go to the Hall of Fame and get in the Hall of Fame like that. Well, it, it's an incredible story. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story. Letting people know how things used to be, a little bit different, but uh, letting people know that that era is not forgotten, and that was something that was that was a little bit different that you got to do, you got to be a part of. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Hey, like I said, you know, this was an interview that I have been wanting to do now for a long time. You know, Dad turned 84 this year. We were glad to have him stop by, share a few stories about what it was like to race in those days when someone could build their own car, someone could go race against some of the best race drivers in the country, someone could go out there and kill themselves really, really easily. It was a dangerous, crazy era, but he was fortunate enough to go through it and live through it, and I'm very, very grateful that he was able to take the time to spend with us. I would like to thank all of you for indulging me on this show, but you know, I wanted to do it, and I genuinely hope that you did enjoy listening to that interview. Hey, just a quick reminder, if you do have any shopping to do, you might want to head over to LootCrate.com forward slash Daily Dose where you can find the latest pop culture collectibles that feature your favorite TV shows, your favorite movies, and your favorite video games. June's Loot Crate theme is out. It is called Colossal, and it's got collectibles and gear from Godzilla, Marvel Comics, Ghostbusters, and Jurassic Park. But the best part, of course, about ordering, when you check out, just make sure that you type Daily Dose in the coupon box we are going to get you 10% off of your order. It is always good to save just a little bit of money when you can. Hey, tomorrow on The Daily Dose, we will, of course, be discussing the latest and greatest in sports news. We'll see what stories just might be coming out. Plus, we will have a brief preview of those upcoming NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. They do start tomorrow night. We want to take a quick look at what we might expect coming up in those games. And as usual on Thursdays, we will have our Daily Dose Overreactions of the Week, so you know you have to tune in for that. I have to say thank you all so much for listening to and for sharing the show. Thank you for the emails, the texts, and the tweets. If you would like to contact us, hit us up on email, dailydosesports at gmail.com, or feel free to go find us over on Facebook or Twitter. We would love to hear from you. I have to say thank you to JSP. Could not do any of this without you. I will see you all tomorrow. Have a wonderful Wednesday.